Well, it's a privilege uh, to come and talk with you. Really, it's, it's a privilege. I mean that uh, with all my heart. And uh, before I begin, let me just uh, pray one more time. <clears throat> Father, if we think about where we are right now, and we were to zoom out of this church here, uh, geographically what we would see and, and uh, what we would hear and what we would experience is kind of like what you would. But all around us there are people who are just going about their lives and probably watching Netflix. I pray, God, that uh, the blessing that it is to be here, to have an hour here, a few hours tonight and the weekend, to think about our lives and to, to think about what is truly important, the way that we live, uh, the things that we worship, the, th the ways we spend our time. Uh, it's such a privilege, Lord, to come and think about that. Most people don't. And so we just thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to do that, and, and we give you all the praise. We thank you, Lord, that one day those of us who know you will get to see you and feel your love. Uh, experience it in a way that, that we, we don't uh, now. It'll be, it'll be different then. We look forward to that day, God. I just I pray, Father, that tonight this wouldn't be just another uh, teaching. Tomorrow they wouldn't just be another kind of thing that we hear and it tickles us and, and then we move on with our lives. But I pray, Father, that you would root uh, some truth here in our, in our hearts deep and that you would change us, that, that nobody in this room would leave here tonight uh, unchanged, but that you would cause us to be more resolute in our faith and more resolute in our lives that we want to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sherlock Holmes and his brilliant uh, sidekick, Dr. Watson, one day decided to go uh, on a camping trip. <clears throat> you don't have to take notes on this part. <laughs> After setting up their tent and building a fire, and having a little dinner, they laid down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes woke up and nudged his friend. Watson, he said, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies, potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we'll have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes was silent for a minute and then spoke. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> tonight, tonight my goal is to answer just one question for each of you. I just want to answer, I want to ask one question and then answer it for everybody here. With all of the important things that are going on in your lives, and I remember what it was like to be a college student. Uh, I, it's, it's easy to remember because I still am one, I guess. Uh, <laughs> But particularly, I remember at MSU what it was like, and there were a lot of questions that were in my head. As a 19-year-old, as a 20-year-old, I don't want to tell you how long it took me to graduate, but 
I will actually, it took me six years. So I was 24. <laughs> Thoughts like, uh, where should I live? You know, what, what job should I take? What should my major be, which I changed three times? Should I get married? Should I date somebody? Should I go abroad? Should I do a, a short-term mission trip? Should I do grad school? All of those questions I'm sure uh, you are very, very intimate with, but there is one which outdoes them all in significance and priority. Dr. Watson, in that story, was so focused on making some of those wonderful observations that he did meteorologically and horologically and so forth, that he was unable to see the most important thing, which was so obvious and right in his face. And that's what I'd like to help us avoid doing tonight. With, with all of those questions that you're faced with about your life, and they're good questions. I, don't, I wouldn't for a minute minimize them. They're very important, and they're important to the Lord as well. But there is one which precedes them, and which may even help you in answering them. And that question is this. What does Jesus want to make of you? It's a simple question, really. And I'm not speaking to you as a, as a group. I'm speaking to you each as individuals. What can you know with certainty that Jesus wants to make of you? Regardless of those other things, occupations and, and, and marital status and so forth, uh, what does he want to make of you? That's the question which I think is the most obvious and the plainest, most in your face, if you're a follower of Christ. But before we answer that question, I kind of want to just, I want to tell you a few assumptions that I'm making about you, about you guys. Uh, three assumptions. Number one, I'm assuming that, that everybody here is a Christian. That is, I'm assuming that you're already disciples of Jesus. What does Jesus want to make of me? Well, he wants to make of you a disciple. That would probably be maybe the best way to answer that question. But I'm assuming that you've already answered that. I'm a disciple of Christ. I follow him. I have a working, functional understanding of the gospel. I preach that message to myself daily. My faith in Christ isn't merely intellectual ascent where I'm just ticking doctrinal boxes so that I don't go to hell. But it's an actual heart trust in the person and in the cross of Jesus, which is producing peace and fruit within me. Uh, so the question tonight that we'll answer is more as his disciple, I guess, what does Jesus want to make of me? So I'm, I'm assuming that you're already disciples. And if that is the case, then I know something about all of you. Uh, something, maybe you, you're not going to expect me to say this, but I know something very important about all of you. And that, that's my second assumption. I assume that everybody that is here tonight, every one of you is struggling with something. Whether it be, and I'll just be real with you, I'm the Dean of Students at Montana Bible College, and I've gone to college now for 11 years. So I assume that in the room there are addictions to pornography, that there is sexual immorality in our lives, there are crude thoughts and senses of humor that you struggle with, or maybe an idolatrous infatuation with a professor or another student, maybe drunkenness or drugs or some kind of big compromise in your Christian walk. I think I can safely assume that that entire range is probably present here tonight. And I assume that about you, not because I'm judgmental or something like that, but because, uh, and this, by the way, has ever, everybody read the, the uh, Gospel Primer? I get some of this out of the Gospel Primer. This was my favorite chapter. 
this is a kind of a rough quote. I assume that about you because the cross exposes us to each other. It exposes us before the eyes of other people, and it informs them of the depth of our depravity. Think about it. If you wanted others to think highly of you at MSU or at church or wherever, if you wanted them to have a high opinion of you, you would need to conceal the fact, not express it, that a shameful, brutal slaughter of Jesus was required that you could be saved. But when you stand at the foot of the cross, and you think about it in that sense, you are seen by others in the light of that cross, and you and I are left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating gossip, think about this, the most humiliating gossip that could ever be whispered about you was already trumpeted from Golgotha. And yourself and my self-righteous reputation is left in total ruins in the wake of what happened there. There's a story I once heard about a man uh, who was out of work. He was a bodybuilder by, train, by training, but he had fallen on hard times and had gone into a zoo because he had seen an advertisement uh, that said, wanted men to work at zoo. When he went there, to his horror, he found out that the only job that they had opened for him was somebody to play the part of a monkey. A lot of children were going to be coming in the next few days, and they had run out of monkeys and needed somebody to impersonate one. <laughs> and since money was tight, the man decided that he'd take the job. He had to arrive before sunrise and get into the outfit of a monkey, slip in still in the darkness there and get into his cage. Finally, the day dawned and children were coming, and all he had to do was pensively pace the floor back and forth and look rather adept at, at swinging from trees, and eat the peanuts and bananas whenever they were fed to him. Now, you could do that. A normal person could do that for eight to ten hours. And after that time, he became thoroughly exhausted. The bananas were getting the better of him. And as he was swinging from one tree to another, rather nauseated, he slipped and fell into the lion's den next door. Not wanting to die in this ridiculous situation into which he had gotten himself, he broke his monkey character and desperately shouted, Help! Help! The lion leaned over and said, If you don't shut up, we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> As Christians, I think we all too often put on a suit in order to convey an image of ourselves which is far from the truth. I can't help but think but the Facebook profile pictures that I've seen, this is what I'm like. No, that, no it's not. <laughs> the problem is that the longer we keep the facade up, uh, especially in the church as Christians, the deeper and deeper we sink into a self-deception and the Christian walk becomes harder and harder about the time we get to breaking point and we say something like, I, I can't live this life, you know? I don't want to go to church with all the good people. They're, they're, they're all just doing this amazing walk and, and I struggle and, and, I, and I deal with sin and I, I, uh, I don't honor the Lord in all the ways that I know that I should. And so I just want out. I don't, I don't know if I could carry on. About that time... We get to the breaking point, and hopefully at some point we'll say, help, help. 
only to find out that the person to whom we are shouting is usually playing the same game that we are. Here's the good news. This is my point. This is only my second assumption about you. Thankfully, the more honest we are and the more exposed we are by the cross, the more we can open up with others about ongoing issues of sin in our lives. Think about this. Why would any Christian be shocked to hear from you about your struggles with past and present sin when the cross already told them that you're desperately wicked? It's not a surprise. All those things I listed, I hope you thought, man, I don't think that's present. I think it probably is. So as you look around at the people here, you may not even know them personally. But because they are a Christian, you know much about them and about what they admit to when they claim to be a Christian. So my first assumption is that everybody here is already a disciple of Jesus. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for you to spend your money and your weekend and everybody's busy to come here if you weren't. My second assumption is that because of that, I know that everybody in here is broken and, and messed up and uh, hurting in, to some degree. I think I can be sh- sh- sure of that. That leads me to my third assumption, which is this, that because of that brokenness, we all need to be reminded of the gospel. And we all need to, need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And so, because of that, because of those three assumptions about you, I want to just preach the gospel to you uh, and, and tell you a few things about yourselves that maybe you've grown unaccustomed to being reminded of. If you have your Bibles, would you go in them to Colossians chapter 2? I think Colossians chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Verse 13. Did you know, by the way, as you're going there, that in Revelations, the book of Revelation, it says there, That God has an account, a written account, of everything that you've ever done. Everything. And that one day, books will be opened, right? You guys have read that in Revelation 21? Books will be opened, and God is going to judge people by them. Look at chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 13. When you were dead in trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him, and forgave us all our trespasses. Let me just say, uh, I saw this uh, this morning as I was thinking about this passage and what I would want to say about it. And I saw the word all, and I'd circled it one day, probably years ago, all. I circled the word all. And I had to check, I don't know, for those of you guys who have done a little bit of Greek, sometimes you, you got to do this. You check in the Greek to make sure that the word is there. I don't know. Or you go onto like a blue letter Bible and you check. It's there. The word pantas, all. So let me just capitalize on that. Do you realize that all, all of your sins have been forgiven? If you're, I mean, as a Christian here tonight, that's something we can easily forget. But all of them have been forgiven. All. Verse 14 He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. That passage that I refer to in Revelation, all of those things, 
all of them. Think about all of the stuff that you've done in your life. Think about if we were to, to sit here and on the wall here, I was to project your life on the wall and, and we were going to watch it, all of us together. Your life, your individual life, and we'd have the audio, your thoughts, and we just get to listen to you. Not, maybe not your whole life, just this last week. How many of you would be comfortable with that? How many would be comfortable if we projected that there and, and, and then had the audio of your thoughts and then over here we, we looked at the images in your mind? What about today? How many of you would be comfortable with that if we did that just today? All of those. Actually, any hands would be comfortable with that? I wouldn't be. I don't want you guys to listen to my thoughts. It's so amazing that all of those things, uh, all of that debt was nailed to the cross. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says, so far has your transgression been removed from you. You might say, well, Danny, you know, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, I sin even now. I just, I struggle. You don't know. I, I, I sin in my relationships. First John 2 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So Jesus' work wasn't just done on the cross. And, and there it's, he's done with us. He still now, even now, is advocating for us as the, uh, in front of the Father. So you and I have an advocate. We have a lawyer, it really is what advocate means, who is constantly uh, uh, advocating for us in front of God. Go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if you circle things in your Bible, but in Colossians, I would definitely cir cir circle the word all. And I'd probably just circle this page in Ephesians. <laughs> Let me just read uh, verse 4, starting in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the word, world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Let me just give you a picture of that, yeah? Think about God before time began, and he looked ahead, and he said, I'll have him. I'll adopt him as my son, and I'll adopt her as my daughter. Before you did any sin, before you did anything, God looked ahead before the foundation of the world and said, I'll have her as my daughter. I know what she's going to do. I know how she'll live. I know the compromises in her life, and I'm going to have her. I'll have her anyways. Keep reading there. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. And I love this part here. In him that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding. Don't you love the word lavish? Let me just tell you a little bit about that word. Lavish, it's like over the top. His grace comes to you and it just keeps coming to you. And it doesn't stop. It's out of control, uh, His grace for you. Let me give you an idea of what, of what this might be like. Do you realize that when you die, when you die, the next breath that you take will be in paradise? That, that if you know Christ... The next hand that you touch 
will be Jesus' hand. The next voice you hear, and this is the most gracious thing, the, 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 the next voice you hear will be this, Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's grace. That's the grace that he's lavished on us. I think that uh, what that means for us then is that man or woman of God here tonight in Christ but struggling, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. (laughs) He cannot. Your sin cannot surprise him. It does not surprise him when you sin. He chose you all the way back before you ever sinned. And and, uh, he doesn't regret saving you. I don't know if you ever feel like that or that that comes into your head, but it has mine before uh, pretty often. Go over to Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7. I think this is one of my other favorite gospel passages. Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost, everything to be lost, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So if you're here tonight and you trust Christ, you have no sin. Do you realize that? Is that a constant reality for you? Man, I want to live in that place, don't you? All of your sin has been forgiven. All of it. And you are totally righteous. Totally righteous before God. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me that when God sees me, he sees Christ. I love Jack that you, or Zach that you did that song tonight. <laughs> Where is he? Where is Jack? Oh, there he is. That I love the verse. So now, and I hope you relate with this. When, te- when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died. And I like singing, my wretched soul. You could say my sinful soul. I like singing, my wretched soul is free. It's counted free. For God, the just, the only just one is satisfied. He looks on him and pardons me. My question is, do you believe that? Yeah? I mean, I've already told you that I assume you're all Christians. Do you believe that? Because if you do, and now we're getting somewhere here. If you do, uh, there's something that ver- very important that follows. If you believe that, there's something that follows. When Kate and I, uh, we just became believers, um, and, and a few of you have heard my testimony in it was why we were here. We were, we, were, we were teaching English abroad for five years. We taught in very few places. We came back here during the summer, one summer, and that summer, I remember out in Big Sky, my dad's house. I won't tell you the circumstances, but I fell on my knees in my bedroom, and I cried and cried, and I said, this is all true. I never, I never really believed it, uh, but I said, this is all true, and I trusted Jesus. And within a couple weeks of that, um, at, if you think of Grace Bible Church, and if the pulpit's here, right there in that first row, Kate and I went to church there. Uh, and uh, I remember praying 
to God that morning and thought, Lord, use this in Kate's life. Use this in Kate's life. And I remember Pastor Brian, I don't remember what the sermon was, but he just nailed it. And at the end, which is probably no surprise to you, <laughs> but at the end, it was so applicable to our lives and the, ways, the way that we were living. And uh, Kate was just hunched over in the pew, just broken over her sin, just, just destroyed over it. And she trusted Christ and never looked back. That summer we went to Japan and we did the third, our third, uh, our, our second um, uh, 10 weeks, I guess is what it was. And we looked for a church and we got him plugged into this uh, English-speaking Japanese church in Tokyo. Amazing people. Absolutely amazing people. Love Christ. They, I didn't even, they, when we left, there was a girl who came up to me and just gave us this, la- lavished on us these gifts. I didn't even know their names. I couldn't even pronounce their names. And they just, <laughs> they, they just cried and cried. And they said, come back, our people. Our people here need you. They need people who love Christ. They need you. And I, I'll just never forget that. It's like, man, if I ever got fired from that NBC, I think I know I'd head to Japan. <laughs> My point of me telling you that is that Kate and I, uh, we, were, we had been living together. When Kate became a Christian and I became a Christian that summer, we couldn't anymore. We just couldn't do it. Uh, and my apartment was here. Kate's was just next door, and we lived in these little shoebox uh, uh, apartments. And I remember right before we were going to fly home, we had this conversation. Um, we said, well, we're Christians now, yeah? Yeah, this is awesome. I mean... Think about all the stuff we've been learning. By the, our, our pastor took us through a Bible study of Leviticus, and it was thrilling. It was thrilling. I loved it. <laughs> and, and I'm not even kidding. Uh, we, did it, we did the Bible study in the upstairs of a cafe called the Gospel Cafe. And the Japanese people who owned it were obviously believers. And people would come in off the street and say, what is gospel? What is the gospel? And, and, they, would, and they would say, sit down. <laughs> Sit down, this, this tea is on us. Sit down, we'll tell you. And they'd share the gospel with dozens of people. And we did our, we did our Bible study up top uh, in, their, in their cafe, and uh, they'd play, and they'd be singing these songs in Japanese. They have them. And they'd be singing them in Japanese, and we'd be singing them in English. And it didn't sound very good, but... <laughs> Anyways, we were sitting in our shoebox. I was sitting on one wall, she was sitting on the other, and our feet were touching. And... Uh, she, basically, we had this conversation, and we said, what are we going to do with our lives, you know? And this, sorry for this long introduction. This is getting back to what does Jesus want to make of us? Uh, but we said, what, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're believers. We don't know the Bible, though. So we got we to gotta know the Bible, you know? Leviticus is thrilling, you know? What, what, what's, what do the other books say, you know? And, and uh, by God's grace, I remember thinking, I, the, 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 the idea didn't spark there, but it really took root there. And I said, I am going to Bible college. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do, but, <laughs> but I am going to Bible college. I've got to go. I just have to. And my point in telling that is simply that once we made that decision, and uh, we got married not long after that, and she came, um, but there are some dots sometimes in the Christian life that aren't connected. Have you guys ever experienced this? It's like, this is what, who I am in Christ. All of those things I just told you about, about the gospel are true, and I believe them. I trust Christ, and it's real. Uh, and then there's this disconnect between that and my life now. Uh, what am I going to do with it? And how you answer that question. 
Go to 2 Corinthians 5. I love this verse. You know, Pastor Brian said his life verse a couple weeks ago. I think this might be my life verse, at least right now it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 15. Actually, we'll just say 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, since we've reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. That's my life verse. I want to live for the one who died for me and was raised. I love that. Uh, So coming back to my, my Japan story, we connected the dots. Considering that we believe this, this is now what our lives are. Our lives are Christ's. Has everybody connected that? Our lives are Jesus's. They're not our own. Do you guys feel that? Do you, do you feel that, that kind of freedom that comes when no longer do you have to determine the meaning of your own existence? Guess what? Jesus determines it for you. He tells you what it is, what your meaning is. And he tells you what your purpose is. And uh, that brings me to this. this. This sermon, by the way, is called Fishers of Men. When the disciples made that decision to first follow Christ, when Jesus' disciples, the first ones there, when they made the decision to follow Christ and they left everything behind, anybody know what the first thing was that Jesus told them he would make of them? I kind of already told you. <laughs> Go to Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> now I realize this is the, in, towards the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. The disciples are already familiar with Jesus. It's not like Jesus just walked up to them cold turkey and said, hey, follow me. And they're like, yeah, let's go. No, he had already had quite a bit of uh, ministry with them. They had already formed a relationship. Matthew 4, verse 18. And as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Verse 19. Follow me, he told them. Here it is. And I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing that Jesus said that he wanted to make of his disciples is fishers of men. Yeah? I love that. I love the fact that that's the first thing that he says, this is what I'll make of you. You want to follow me? And you want to leave everything behind and follow me? Remember my assumption about everybody here is we're already disciples of Jesus. Let me come back to my camping story. Think about it. Just as Watson understood and could deduce all those wonderful things just by looking at the night sky, but he missed the most important, so too, I'm afraid, many Christians get bogged down in the minute and details and fail to see the most important thing which is right in front of them, and that is this. If you are Jesus's, if you're his disciple, then you will be made into a fisher of men. That is what your occupation is. That's our prime occupation. So what does Jesus want to make of you? What is one thing that you can know with certainty? And if you say, Lord, what occupation should I? It doesn't say, you know? And Jesus, I don't think, generally appears to people and says, I want you to be a plumber. (laughs) You can't know that with certainty. Not like this. Jesus says right here, uh... I will make you fishers of men. Okay, maybe you say, Danny, in context here, all right, we're, just, we're disciples of Brian Hughes as well. And so we know context is important. In the context, this isn't to the disciples. You know, this, isn't to the, this isn't to us. Okay, well, that's interesting. 
Let me just take you to a couple other places. Matthew 28. We don't have to go there. Everybody knows this because I know that you've done this in Cross Life. Matthew 28. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. Now you say, no, that's to the disciples. Well, it's a good thing that not the church throughout history hasn't interpreted it as only to the disciples. Or we wouldn't be here. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if you believe the gospel, this calling to make disciples is your calling. Well, maybe it's only for the extrovert people. You know, I'm a little bit introverted. And so I, I, don't, I don't find it comfortable to reach out. Yeah, neither do I. You know, but it, it, the Great Commission doesn't say, you go into the earth, to, to the earth and make disciples of all nations, unless you, you're a little bit uncomfortable with that. In which case, I'll just have, you know, the ones who are extrovert go. He doesn't say that. It's to all of us. And so, my, uh, this was a dot that my wife and I connected, you know. Whatever we do now. And, and I had no idea that the Lord would let me teach at Montana Bible College. I thought for sure. Actually, I had no idea what we would do. I thought we'd probably go back to England. We'd maybe do mission work in Japan or Nepal or something like that. Uh, or hopefully not, but I thought maybe Italy. Italians, Italians love to just argue, and it's so hard to get any word in. So I, thought, I was praying, Lord, not Italy. <laughs> but, uh, and the Japanese are so respectful, they would never do that. They'd, at least to your face, they wouldn't do that. They're, they're so kind. But uh, uh, the dots have to be connected here. If you are a follower of Christ, that means that you're a fisher of men. Yeah? Does everybody see that? So no, from, from MSU, wherever you go from here, whether it's to a job, uh, you stay in Bozeman, or whether you go on and do grad school, your primary occupation is fisher of men. It's not engineer or uh, uh, server at the Outback or uh, whatever, whatever it is you're going to do. You can know with certainty the first thing that you're called to do is be a fisher of men. I love that. I love that. And <clears throat> now I want to get a little bit practical. Not that those things aren't practical, but I think Matt and Deontay invited me here because, like they said, I, I, I so have a heart for people at the Outback. I mean, I, I feel, just so you guys know too, I am not some kind of super ultimate evangelist Paul figure, you know? Paul probably wasn't either. If you've read uh, uh, Acts 22 or wherever it is, no, Acts 24, where he's in front of the, the uh, Sanhedrin, blows it, totally blows it, right? He curses the, the high priest. He's, he's there on, on a charge of breaking the law, and in front of everybody, he breaks the law. He, he totally blows it. And, and I just want everybody to know that that's me too. I am not like that. I am not brilliant in my, my ways of evangelism, you know. I, just to let you see my heart a little bit, on Tuesday nights, that's my night I work at the Outback, when I get home, a lot of the time, I'll stand in the shower and just cry because I feel like such a failure. I mean, I feel like, Lord, I, I've studied so much, and I, I, want, to, I want to reach these people. Uh, and I'll just cry because I, I, it's, I see so little results. Nobody wants, nobody wants it. And uh, so I feel like a failure. So I don't want you guys to think, oh, man, this guy, he, he's just the man when it comes to these things. But nevertheless, over the last year, the last five years, I've shared the gospel with many, many people. And I've had meaning, meaningful conversations, people in my car crying when they hear about Jesus and the fact that, that the forgiveness is there, that they can be forgiven. 
You know, I, I drove through Livingston, and I can't help but think of all the suicides that take place there. And I wonder how many would take place if they just knew that they could be forgiven of all their sin. So let me, get, let me just kind of get practical. I want to tell you what I do at the Outback. And you can take these things uh, or leave them and apply them to your situation, whatever it is. I just had a, a quick question before I do tell you uh, my practical ideas. How many of you work in a restaurant? Wow, quite a few. I just want to say, restaurants are like gold mines. They are gold mines. They are dark, dark places, real dark. There's a subculture in every restaurant that I've worked at that is uh, uh, d- demonic, I think, I can say. And so uh, that's great. Any, does, it, does everybody else? <laughs> Sorry, I should have been. That's great that you work there. I'm glad that Christians are there. <laughs> um, does, does everybody, uh, who has a part-time job? Or some job as they, yeah. So even if you don't have a part-time job, I wanted to say this. It's, this is still practical for you at school, whether you're in classes or whether anything, whether it's your family or friends that you have, outside of a work context is fine. I don't even think, oh, this is for being a server or a waiter at a restaurant, so it doesn't apply to me. No, no, it does. You can apply these things. So three things, and I kind of broke this down into three sections of three. One is what not to do. Uh, what not to do. I think you guys will be surprised at how easy this is, uh, but, uh, or at least the concept is easy. So again, how, how to be a fisher of men. <clears throat> Three things. Number one, I'm saying this primarily to the guys, but I wouldn't make a hasty generalization and say it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to the ladies as well. But guys, I know this is uh, important for us. You've got to watch your mouths. You've got to not be vulgar. I tell you, in high school, I, uh, I, I was voted the class clown, 2001, Bozeman High. And uh, uh, there's a picture of me in the yearbook with my shirt off. Sweet. But uh, I, everything that I did and said at high school was to say, look at me. Look how great I am. Aren't I funny? Don't you want to be like me? And give me glory. I think everything that I said was to that end. And you know what? Doing that for four years there and then carrying that on into MSU for six, uh, um, I developed some habits that are now really hard to escape. My sense of humor is crude. I can't tell jokes. I can't. Well, I guess I could if I, if I write them down. The Sherlock Holmes one was pretty good one, but <laughs> not so crude. But my point is, is that now at the Outback, when I hear somebody say something that's, that I would have used, I used to think was funny, I get some brilliant ideas in my head about what to say. And immediately, I think, I can't. I can't say that. So guys, I don't know if you, if you relate with that, or ladies as well, but uh, don't be vulgar. Just stay out of it. You know, if, if something comes into your head and it's like, oh, man, I could say that, and it, don't do it. Just don't do it. Think about yourself, and in that context, you're a witness and you're a fisher of men. And you want people to see that you're different. And that's in one very easy way, especially if you're in a restaurant context, where immediately you will stand out if you don't uh, use your mouth for vulgar things. Um, ladies, and again, I'm sorry if, this, if you find this stereotypical, don't gossip. Just don't do it. You know, I can't tell you when I come back into the, into the back part of the restaurant there, and uh, we stand by the computers, and I don't judge any of them. I would be doing it the same too if it wasn't for God's spirit rescuing me. Uh, but it's so bad. It's so bad. One, one of the girls will walk away, and the other two will just destroy her verbally. And, uh, and Christian girls are not uh, 
They're not exempt from that. They're not exempt from that temptation. So ladies, don't do it. And I'm not saying guys don't gossip as well. Guys are probably worse, especially older guys at gossiping. Uh, <laughs> but those two things. Let me just read this verse to you. I, I'm not even going to tell you where it is. You probably know. But think about, as I read this, just think if you did this, what it would look like to people. Okay, are you ready for this? Think about if you did this at your job or in your class, how it would come across. Are you ready? No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. What if your, what if your mouth was characterized by that all the time? Now, I'm not saying that I do that perfectly, but at the Outback, uh, I try hard to not let anything like that come out of my mouth. And it, it immediately sets me aside. And so that's one thing. Watch your speech. Vulgar gossip. The third thing here uh, is complaining. Don't complain. Man, it's so easy to complain. I have such a complaining heart. Does, everybody, does anybody know Philippians 2.14 by heart? I'm just going to say, if you are a Shaw... You probably should, since <laughs> Pastor Blake has us memorize this. And it's, it's really a pretty easy one to memorize. Philippians 2.14. Does anybody know it? Go ahead. Try it, Brennan. Yes. Do all things. You can never learn that. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do all things. Could you imagine? Just, just think, if you were at work, and you did everything there without grumbling or complaining. That's right. That's right. Just think about that. If you could do every single thing there at work without grumbling. I'm not saying it takes, it, it'll happen overnight, but you've got to start somewhere. So start now. So the three things, I'm sorry to start with the negative, but three things you could do and it immediately sets you apart. How to be a fisher of men. Boys, guys, don't be vulgar. Don't join in that crude humor. Ladies, don't watch your tongue. Don't gossip. And three, don't complain. Just don't do it. Just bite your tongue and not do it. So three things not to do. Three things to do. <clears throat> Number one, pray for individuals before, during, and after work. Don't even go into work without praying for those guys. Just don't even do it. And I'll tell you now, uh, break your heart over them in prayer. You know, I, I'm glad the Lord is stirring me. But there are guys there that, <clears throat> that I love, and um, they're just destroying their lives. You know, they're absolutely destroying their lives. And so my heart is, and I, I've asked God to do this to me. I've said, Lord, help me to have a soft heart towards my, my fellow workers because it's hard to love them. It just is. It's not part of my flesh. I don't want to. So in prayer, Break your heart over them in prayer and pray for them. Before you go in, by name, while you're there, pray for them. I go to the bathroom and pray. I go to the bathroom, and while I'm there, I pray. <laughs> but I don't just go. Actually, I have gone and just closed, turned the lights off and just pray for people. And, and, and also pray for yourself. Here's one thing, too, on that. Uh, you know, in our culture, we don't, we don't think of spiritual warfare as something that happens here. You know, it's kind of like it happens in Africa, you know, or it happens in tribal situations in, in, in North America, in Canada. Uh, I, I only say that because the, the, the missions professor at NBC was 27 years on the field in, in Canada, Scott Morningstar. And so all of his, quote, unquote, 
spiritual battle things with demons that were speaking to him were there. That doesn't happen here. I've never seen that. Uh, but it, but the spiritual warfare does happen. It really, really does. And you are, you are beginning it to engage in that as you pray before you go into work. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, pray for individuals. Uh, this is underneath that heading. Don't listen to music to and from work. Pray. You're going into battle. I'm not saying it's bad to listen to music. But when I'm going, I, I want to use my time wisely. And so it's like, Lord, when I get into the outback, I, I really want to go in there and make money a lot of the time. That's where my heart is. I need to make money because I want to buy a car for my wife. And, uh, and I want to get out of there because I'm tired. Tuesdays, I work 16-hour days. I don't want to be there uh, at, you know, when it comes 11 p.m. It's like, man, I woke up at 5 this morning. And, and uh, so I pray for myself before I go to work. I don't listen to music. I, I sometimes listen to Brian preach, and I get pumped up. I get jacked up. <laughs> but I do. It's the same thing that you do if you're going into a fight, you know, if you're a boxer, if you're going into a football game, if you're a football player or whatever. You get, you get jacked up to go. And I know that sounds strange, but I do it. I, 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 I work myself up a little bit. And it's funny because you work yourself up and it's like, Lord, yeah, help me to love these people. I want to love them because I don't. You know, my natural state is to not love them. So help me, God. Let me hear what Brian Hughes is preaching. Yeah, let me, let's do this. Let me get, I, want to, I, want to, I want to see Dusty. And I, I know this is strange, but there are guys there that I work with I love. I pray for them by name. And I, I picture them getting baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you. You guys know that. But I want to see them at Grace Bible Church saying, and at, you know, one night I was in a friend's car and uh, he preached to me the gospel and Jesus came to my life and changed me. And ba- Pastor Brian says, because of your confession, Dusty, I now, I want to see that. I want to see him dunked and I want to see his life changed. So I pray for him. And then the other thing I pray for is this. I beg God. I, I really do because I don't, it's not who I am to give me a supernatural love for people. You know, I, I just don't love them like, like I want to. And, uh. So I ask God, Jesus, help me to love these people like you love people. Um, so what to do? Pray for individuals before, during, and after work. Be, number two in that, be single-minded. Be single-minded in looking for opportunities to share Christ. Just be single-minded in it. When you go into work or when you go into class, that's your occupation. That's what you're doing there. And I'm not saying that you don't want to work hard, be diligent, and do good at your studies and pay attention to the lecture. But that's, I want to be careful. In my opinion, and that's okay if you disagree, but that is secondary. The first, the first thing that you're there for is a fisher of men. That's the real thing. That, that, that's more real than, than the other things. So be single-minded in looking for opportunities to share Christ in action. And uh, I said word, deed. I meant word. Action and word. I wrote here, you are not first and foremost a waiter. You are an ambassador of Christ, a fisher of man. So how do you do that? All right, that sounds really good. How do you do that? Here are a couple things that I do. I serve other people in an otherworldly fashion. I do things for them that I know nobody else will do. So at the Outback, I don't know how this works in your guys' jobs or whatever, but when, the, when, the, when we close, there are two closers, and everybody else gets cut, and as soon as they can, they take off. I don't do that. I'm not saying I don't do it every time, but I stay, and I help them close. And then while we are closing, and nobody's there, and I'm wiping off tables, and they're like, oh, Danny, thank you so much. And it's like, yeah, no problem, man. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, uh, grateful for you. 
and maybe that maybe feel awkward saying that. But uh, I, I say those kinds of things. It's like, man, I've just prayed that God would give me supernatural love for people. And then when I look at somebody and I think, man, I just want this person to know that I care about him and that somebody cares about him. And then I say that to them. It's, it's strange. I, I'll tell you, it's a little bit strange. But, but I'll tell you, when their lives, over the years that I've worked there, are broken or hurting, do you know who they come to? The one that helped them close all those times and told them that, hey, just so you know, I care about you. And, that's, and I really mean it. It doesn't, I don't stop there, though. <laughs> um, I ask people meaningful questions. I say, hey, man, you know, what's going on in your life? And you know that the answer is going to be shallow. I, I answer shallowly as well. Oh, you know, yeah, not much. School, you know, the usual. Cool. What are you struggling with right now? I can tell something is off tonight. You all right? You'd be amazed if you asked that question. But, by the way, has anybody just asked that question to you and you've been touched by it? It's like, yeah, you know. I am, there are some things in my life that aren't, aren't going really well. Do that. Ask them. It, it, it's so easy. Well, maybe it's not so easy, but you'll get the hang of it. Um, so be single-minded in looking for opportunities to share Christ. The third thing is this, and I, I like the way that, that I worded this. Uh, <laughs> wear your colors without shame. Everybody at the Outback knows I'm a Christian and uh, that, that I follow Jesus. And I, I wear that. I, I, I avoided the word proudly, but you know what I mean. Don't be, don't be ashamed of it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a Christian and that's who I am. That's who I am, you know. Let me, let me say, hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, really well. This is me. Somebody asked me, hey, Danny, how's it going? Yeah, really well. Oh, man, I had such a good time last night. What do you think they're going to ask you? What'd you do? What happened? You had such a good time last night. I was at Cross Life. Do you know what Cross Life is? Boom, you're in. <laughs> or, or I'll say, yeah, you know, on Monday nights, I have a Bible study. We're studying through Romans right now. It's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And I say it like that with that sincerity. And they're like, what is Romans? You know? And it's like, why don't you come on Monday nights? and find, and, and, and we have, that's, So I wear my colors without shame, and, and I want people to know that I'm a Christian because I don't want them to think that I'm just some nice guy. Oh, he, I don't want to reduce Christianity to that either. Oh, he's just a nice guy. No, 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 no. I've, I've had conversations just two weeks ago. I told a girl, and I did it with absolute love and tears, that she was going to hell. It was about the fifth time that I had spoken with her. It's my manager. <laughs> and we'd, 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 in, in our office, we were sitting in the office, and again, please, I hope I'm not I don't mean to be bragging, and I'm not, because I'm scared when I do this, you know. Uh, but we were in the office five years ago when I first started working. I remember saying, Michaela, when are you going to start thinking about spiritual things, you know? You're 24. Uh, when, when are you going to start thinking about things? She said, I will, you know, I will someday. I said, all right. Two, weekend, two Tuesdays ago, I said, hey, I asked you that question five years ago. It, it's, it's the future now. When are you going to start thinking about these things? She said, I will someday. I said, you may not have someday. You realize that? I said, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to scare tactics with you, but Jesus said that there's a hell. And if your sins aren't forgiven, you're going there. She didn't like that, uh, but she knows that I love her. And I said that too. I said, I love you. <laughs> you know, I'm convinced that this is true. By the way, I'll give you some reasons too if you want to know about them. I think that this is provable historically. <clears throat> Wear your colors without shame. By the way, people do avoid going in the office with me. 
Uh, but I'll tell you this, not everybody, not everybody. Last Tuesday, there was a, a young girl who w- was in the Mormon church. She came out of it, and, and she's just fed up with everything, including linguistically everything that has to do with Jesus. And uh, we had such a good talk. She cried. She cried. We talked about how Jesus is the answer. She said, well, what, about, what about other religions? How can you say that he's the only way for forgiveness? And do you know what I said? I said, well, have you ever studied Buddhism? Buddha would not accept you. You're a woman. And you would be in a low caste in Buddhism. And in Buddhism, the karma system, all you do is pay and pay and pay and pay. And your next life cycle pays for your last one. And then, after, and then the ultimate desire is for you to lose your identity. You're not even important. The whole, you're going to be a drop in the sea. No, Jesus would accept you now as you are. You can come to him as you are. You can't do that with Hare Krishna. You can't do that with Buddha. They wouldn't even touch you. You're unclean. You, you, they, certainly Muhammad wouldn't accept you. Jesus can, though. And he would right now. He would right now. She cried. I'm hoping for, to, to have another conversation. So not everybody avoids me in the office. Okay. So what not to do? Gentlemen, don't use vulgar speech. Be set apart. Ladies, don't gossip. And that goes for both of you. I don't mean to stereotype. Three, don't complain. What things to do? Pray for people and break your heart over people. Uh, beg God to give you supernatural love for them. Don't go into work listening to Beyonce. Go into work listening to, to Pastor Brian or praying. Be, and, by, and by the way, I just want to say, too, that spiritual warfare is real. In our culture, it doesn't, take play, it doesn't look like that, what I was describing earlier. It looks much, much more like, uh, frankly, apathy. Yeah, You go into work, and you're just used to going there and going through the motions, and you've got people, men and women of God, who have the righteous breastplate on, helmet of salvation, and they're not even using it. They don't even know about it because they're more interested in whatever. So pray before you go in. Number two, just to go back through these, be single-minded and looking for opportunities. Isn't, is there a context in your work? Uh, is there uh, in your work context? Can you get away with somebody like that? At the end of the night, people are closing down, uh, and you get away, steal away, and have a conversation with somebody. By the way, there are really great ways of doing that of bridging the gap to get into a spiritual discussion about important things. And it is, a, it is no one's natural at it. Uh, people have to work at it. I'm, I'm terribly awkward sometimes with that, but I do it anyways. Number three, wear your colors without shame. I want people to know I'm, I'm a Christian because, frankly, I'm going to love them, and I'm not going to be vulgar, and they're going to see that there's a difference uh, in me. So I want them to know it's because of Jesus, and it's not just because I'm a nice guy. All right, <clears throat> last two things, and I'll close. I think probably through this, some of you might be thinking, how do, I, how do I deal with fear? Yeah? If I'm a fisher of men, and that's my sole occupation, that's what I'm arguing, that's the first thing Jesus said to his disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. How do I deal with the fear that I have? Because that's, that's, a, that's a good obstacle, and that's a great question. And if I were you, that's the first thing I would ask. Um, and I want you to know, too, that uh, I'm afraid when I do those things. I'm af- I was afraid Michaela was going to fire me. And I, 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 I was 95% sure she wasn't going to, but I was a little bit afraid she wasn't. My, the proprietor of the restaurant, I've had those discussions with him, and I've, sh- I've been shaking as I've gone into the office, knowing that he's in there, knowing that I'm in there, and we've got an hour to spend together. Uh, at the end of the night, no one else is there. And it's like, oh, man, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it, you know? But, I, but look at the opportunity you're giving me, and I, I'm scared. So first thing, to, how do you deal with fear? 
You guys, so obvious, but pray. Say, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Help me. Help me to do this in your strength and not my own. Uh, also, realize that you're not alone. Do you know I asked Pastor Brian, I've had such a, it's been such a blessing to be friends with him. He's afraid every time he goes to the pulpit. He's, he's nervous. Does that amaze you? 30 years. And not only, but he's taught on all, con, all the continents, including Antarctica. I'm just kidding. Uh, but you're not alone. Pastor Brian, you know what? One time I, I was asking him, he sat next to a, um, a, a guy in the Mormon church on a, on, a, on a plane. And the guy had the Book of Mormon. Pastor Brian had the Bible. And he was like, okay, here I am. I'm a pastor. I'm on the plane. I've got to have a conversation with this guy. And you know what he did? He went into the bathroom and he prayed. That's what he did because he was scared. Uh, and he didn't use the word scared, but, I mean, he, he, he was nervous about it. It's like, Lord, if this is going to happen, let it be of you. You know, give me strength. Give me the words. And then he goes back out there and he says, he gave him his argument. He knew what he was going to do. How do I deal with fear number three? <clears throat> with time and practice, know that you can overcome it. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to be afraid, but you can get over the fact that you're afraid and do things anyways. It's called courage. And the fourth thing is this. I know this sounds strange, and I know it takes a lot of money, but get out of the U.S. Just get out of our culture for a while. Because when you come back, it's amazing, and I don't like this word very much, but it's amazing how empowering it is. You come back and you're like, wow, I remember I used to think like that. Now, I was gone, I was gone out of the U.S. for five years. So that's maybe not doable. But if you could go for an entire summer, get yourself out of the American context. And when you come back, you'll be quite surprised, having experienced another culture, how not scary ours is. Oh, other people do think differently than us. Other people do think uh, uh, in different ways than we do. So I know that those are four kind of easy things besides the last. But yeah, get yourself out of our context. Go with Matt and go with Deontay when they go down to Nicaragua. Uh, uh, do those mission trips and, and extend it. Stay as long as you can. Save up your money. And the second question is this. How do I deal with feelings of inadequacy? Okay, you're saying, Danny, you want me to be a fisher of men. I'm afraid to do it. I'm introvert. You know? Which, by the way, I don't know if that's actually a real thing. Pastor Blake would say it's not. But uh, how do I deal with feelings of inadequacy? Um... Two things I would say about this. Just out of curiosity, Matt and Deontay, you guys are in seminary. Do you ever feel inadequate when you're speaking with a non-believer? Do you ever not feel inadequate? Sorry for the double negative. Do you ever not feel inadequate? I, I always am I'm like, man, I don't know the Bible like I should. What if they ask me this question? I won't be able to answer it. I look like an idiot. There are a couple ways you can get over this. And, and the first is this. Uh, you know, in Ephesians 4, it says that the pastor's role, the elders in the church, their role is to equip the saints for ministry. Yeah? So it's not like Brian is the one who should be doing evangelism. Now, he does when he gets a chance. And, of course, he sees the church as an opportunity to do evangelism. My wife is saved there, uh, uh, and so are a lot of other people. But uh, he's equipping us at church for doing ministry. And my point is simply this. If you feel inadequate, get plugged in and thank Thank the Lord that you guys already are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But get in with Deontay and the things that he's doing. Get in with Matt. Get in with a small group and, and learn the Bible so that those feelings of inadequacy will diminish. And if you're not going to do that, 
um, only in the church context, then take classes. And again, I don't benefit at all if you guys take classes at Montana Bible College, but it is there in our town, you know? And so take a class from, at NBC. Learn the Gospel of John. Uh, uh, or, or wherever you are, there, there's probably, because we're in the U.S., there may be a Bible college or a seminary that you can go and do an evening class. Spend your time. What else are you going to do? What else is your life about? So get equipped. Uh, there are so many resources. So the church, number one, I would say, if you're, if you're, if you're, feeling with an, if you're dealing with the, the feeling, feelings of inadequacy, get yourself plugged into the church. Learn scripture. Make it a priority in your life. And also... Uh, don't be afraid when people ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. Just tell them. I'm, so, I'm such an idiot when it comes to that. I always want to give an answer, you know, uh, but sometimes I just don't know. And so it's better to just be honest and be in the church and to otherwise use the resources that you have like NBC to grow in your knowledge and that inadequacy will fade. Now let me make one charge and I'm done. Uh, and that's this. You know, Bozeman is just, if you look at the map, it's I don't know the directions here, but it is just west of here on the other side of the mountains. Yeah? How many of us are? Do you guys know how many there are tonight? 50? Maybe 50 or so? They have no idea that we're coming. They don't. They have no idea that there are 50 young, frankly, warriors here. And, and maybe they're, you're young warriors, but you're in training. Uh, and we're going over there and... Let me put it this way. Jesus started with 11 people, and, and the whole world has just been changed. And never, it could never return. You cannot understand Western civilization without Jesus and those 11 that he started with. And we're 50. We're 50, not 11. So we've got one up on the disciples. And we've got Scripture. We've got the whole New Testament. And they were writing the New Testament. They didn't have the whole thing. So my point is this. Bozeman doesn't know we're coming. So when we're done with this weekend tomorrow, as you, as you continue to think, what's my life about and what am, I, what am I living for? Am I a fisher of men? And if I don't know how to do it, where can I get equipped? How can I equip myself to do this? That's what Jesus wants of me. That's what he wants to make of me. They don't know we're coming. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I just ask that you would take this time that we've been talking tonight and just use it in our lives. Please, God, sink these convictions into us. Lord, may we never, ever be comfortable with mediocrity. May we never, ever be comfortable in, in our worldly occupation. I pray, Father, that you would help us to focus on what you want us to focus on. Help us, Lord, to be fishers of men, that that, that would be our sole purpose in life, to glorify you through being and making disciples of Jesus. What else is there? There's nothing better. There's just nothing better than doing that. Um, we, we would not want to trade the treasures, the rich treasures that have eternal consequences for Netflix. Never. We wouldn't want to trade it. Be foolish. So help us, God. Help us to, to live by the convictions that we're going to build this weekend. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.